as most startup founders come from MBA backgrounds. And in London, that is also happening a bit. Like Deliveroo, I think uh, Will Shu is a Wharton guy. TransferWise, I think he's an inside MBA. I think Zopa is also an inside MBA. So there's a bunch of guys who are starting up a lot more companies. And as they start up, they will hire more because they obviously value the network. Welcome to the MBA Jam Podcast with your host, Avinash Bajaj. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of the MBA Jam. Today, we have Ankus Bhatia on the show. Ankus has done his bachelor's in engineering, following which he went on to pursue his master's in mathematics and statistics from the Stony Brook University in New York. That led him into the world of finance, investment banking, and venture capital. Since finishing his MBA at Columbia, Ankush continued his journey in venture finance before recently focusing on consulting with startups in London across creating business plans, working on business development initiatives, helping in data analysis to improve the KPIs, and putting operational processes in place for early and late stage startups. Ankush, welcome to the show. Thanks, Avinash. Many thanks for the intro and hello to all the listeners out there. <laughs> Great. So, Ankush, besides what I mentioned in my introduction, what what do you think about that and what, what would you like to add? I think you actually covered everything. I can, um, I mean, I can just give a little bit more, like, I can just dive in a bit more into it, just giving yep. a little bit about, like, my thought process as I jumped along different education paths and different, uh, you know, um, career paths. So I can go from there. So I'm originally I'm originally from Bombay, and I moved to the U.S. around 10 years back. Uh, started off going to Stony Brook to get my degree in applied mathematics. Right after, worked at Goldman Sachs uh, for around four and a half years. And, you know, this was during the financial crisis. So really exciting time to be in Goldman, especially in risk covering sales and trading. Uh, <laughs> at some point, decided I kind of wanted a little bit more of the business experience um, and transition over from, you know, uh, middle management to the front office. Columbia being a school in New York was something I was superbly familiar with and a top finance school. That was kind of what drove my uh, application process. I did apply to London Business School and Chicago as well. Mm. I mean, this was a combination of what are the top finance schools. Also, my wife had a job and, you know, we kind of wanted her to keep working. So at least one income is coming in while I'm at business school. And New York made most sense. She was, she already had a job. I mean, she liked it. And for me, you know, Columbia was a good choice. Colombia, I think for two years, uh, has definitely been the best two years of my life. I mean, we can talk about like pros and cons of MBA, but I had a great, great experience in those two years. Um, so from that point, highly, highly recommend. After that, you know, I've, I did invest in banking in New York and was sent over to London eventually. And I think after doing it for three and a half, four years, at some point, you kind of start feeling like, you know, what's next? You've learned everything that you can. You've been an advisor on the outside. You've worked on really interesting transactions. But what's next? And I don't know. It kind of, for me, it started being about like, I want to make more of an impact and kind of work on something that I can kind of own more. And that led my transition into startup world. So right here, I'm kind of like looking for the right opportunity. But, you know, I dove in headfirst and have been working with a few startups, helping them out on different things. But at the same time, also thinking of my own startup idea, building it along the way, as well as looking at good opportunities. So that's where I stand right now. Great. Wow, that's 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 quite a bit. Um, so we can try and cover some of those in stages as well. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes, so to begin with, you know, just to take all the way back um, in, in time. So after your bachelor's in engineering, you went on to, to do master's in, you know, mathematics quite quickly after that. Did you consider working at all or did you just wanted to just, um, you know, go for your master's degree? Um, what was the reason for that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, no, I didn't actually, I didn't consider working and it's a little bit of a different career path from when you come from India. For me, the master's was more of a way of getting in the United States. I mean, I wanted to get this degree so I can come here and actually work a little bit out here. Because, you know, when you come from, when you come from outside and you study in India and then you want to look for a job straight in the US, it does not really work with the visa stuff and all. You Usually people, when they do that, they need to work in India and then transition with a company. Uh, and I chose the master's route. I thought I wanted to get some Western education and as well as kind of find a job out there. So, yeah, that's yeah. how that started. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think I think it was very similar, um, you know, thought process that I went through as well. I think the only difference is I don't know how you 
felt uh, when you finish your engineering but when I finished my engineering I, I pretty much figured that I suck as an engineer <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't yeah. I wasn't as good as what I thought um, and I, I don't know I, I, I introspect a lot about the education system um, you know in, in, in India um, so when I when I got started in engineering when I decided to pursue engineering I thought I will be good at it because I was yep. really good at you know you know mathematics and statistics and all that yep. stuff you know exactly. in high school, and that makes you think okay if I'm good at that I will be very good at engineering. But then when I got started in two years I realized I'm terrible. But I had to just finish my degree in some form and manner. <laughs> um, and then in I mean, fact, you, you, yeah, go on. <laughs> sorry, go on, go on. Uh, okay, great. So just to finish up that particular story. Um, so after that, I got a job again as an engineer. You know how ironical that would be. Uh, but I was <laughs> totally dissatisfied. I was totally unmotivated. And as a result of that, you know, with a bunch of friends, I decided to start a very small company while I was um, having the engineering job. And that prompted me to figure out, hang on, I'm not interested in engineering. I'm more interested in business. Let me go do an MBA. <laughs> So Great. yeah, what are, what are what are your thoughts on that? Actually, very very similar. So it's the same kind of thing. And you know, in in a way, I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk about this in India right now about how the education system is broken, and people who do well in their high school and school are like forced into science paths. Um, you know, just because everyone does it, and that's what people think yeah. is the path if you're like smart and like math and science. And this is what happened with me as well. I was really good in math. I mean, I was very good at numbers. And, you know, I went into engineering. <laughs> Same as you. <laughs> Two years down the road, I realized, like, I actually don't like this one bit. So I kind of, like, didn't get into a role. So I didn't apply for any companies. I actually started thinking about what my master's would be a different path and went around the more applied math and start route, thinking about how you could end up in risk management on Wall Street. Uh, but, yeah, it was the same thing. Like, two, three years, I was like, I really hate this stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so what what do you think? So, once you did your master's in, in, in math and stat, um, you I think I think finance was always something on your mind. How did you find yes. that world and how did you find you liking that world? Exactly. So, I actually really quite enjoyed it. I mean, my whole transition into risk management and internal audit, I mean, coming from a mathematical background, I was focusing mostly on the equity sales and trading side. And even within that, more on the algorithmic trading and the proprietary trading. And I was actually thinking of a career path in sales and trading. I mean, I had found a good mentor in trading. I was, I knew the guys well. I was able to keep up with them. And, you know, then the financial crisis happened. And suddenly these guys were like losing their jobs. I mean, prop trading as a word was like, basically, Goldman had said, nobody talks about uh, prop trading we are liquidity providers and i mean the whole industry was changing it was becoming an agency play and there was no scope for people who could trade on companies accounts so you know after talking to my mentor mo and he very seriously told me like the problem we see with traders is they only have one skill set and that is trading they're very good at it but when you want to go look for opportunities outside you're kind of stuck so that kind of prompted me to think about like, okay, this is like a really scary time. Like sales and trading is totally unfolding. It's it was a, it's a dying industry. And now if you see algorithms have taken over most of it, you know, yep. traders have become like a dying breed. So that prompted me to think about like, okay, what can I do from here? I knew I was bored of risk and, you know, I've done that for a while. My end path was now changing. So I started looking at business schools as an option to go and rebrand myself. Uh, still still focused on the finance side, um, but, you know, I started digging more into investment banking. But I can touch a bit more about that, like how people are, you know, have to think about career paths so soon when they get into business school. And I can touch into that a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's great. Yeah, exactly. I can see you had been Goldman Sachs for, for a while, for five years. And yep. it looks like that was your reasoning to try and, you know, advance your career in, in something besides being stuck in equity sales and trading for a long time yep exactly i see i see so so you were in new york so is that what made columbia almost um an easier choice as compared to you know relocating somewhere else yeah, exactly. And it's a little bit of what I touched earlier. Basically, I mean, when I got into Columbia, I wasn't like, you know, I was interviewing with like London Business School and Chicago Booth. And for me, I mean, I just pulled out of the processes once I got Columbia. For me, it was an easy win. My wife didn't have to give up her job. She could continue her job out there. And I mean, we love New York. And it didn't become like two of us have to like, you know, she has to find a job and have to pay for tuition. So it made sense that one of us can continue. 
Um, and also for me, I mean, I, I don't know, when you went through the MBA, you might have thought of the same thing. It's, it's a little frustrating when people have like offers from multiple schools and yep. they keep holding on to it because and blocking other people in the route. And that was something that really used to upset me. And for me, I think when I got Columbia, I literally, I think the same week I pulled out of London Business School in Chicago. I was like, I'm done. I'm going here. There's no point, you know, holding on to those seats. Um, so, yeah, that was my journey into Columbia. Yeah, great. No, no, that that makes complete sense. Um, my journey was not as smooth. Um, so I was in a you know a stereotypical uh, engineering job, so that made it even harder <laughs> um, from from applying from India. So in fact, the first year I did not even get in in some of the top colleges that I wanted to get in. So I had mm-hmm. to wait it out for a year and then reapply, and then I I. For me, actually, U.S. was a top choice. Uh, I don't know why, looking back, you know, it seems like probably because there are so many schools out there and so many are good that I never yeah. really considered uh, U.K. that much. I considered U.K. London Business School a bit, but probably one thing that um, drew my thinking is that finance was never, um, you know, like the top top choice for me and from what I heard London Business School is quite competitive and investment banking seems to be a popular choice while I was more interested in a slow and steady you know startups entrepreneurship technology so I got more attracted to Imperial and to be completely honest yep. you know my wife back then girlfriend um, she loved London <laughs> it's a very silly reason so she was like why don't you apply for London and what if you get through and I got through uh, along oh, with okay. <laughs> along with two other universities in the US, so I got in um, at Saint Saint Louis. That's uh, I mm-hmm. forgot that. Yes, Saint Louis University and um, UC Irvine. Um, but then okay. I I gave up on both of them and I just came to London. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, at least my experience here has been like coming from investment banking. When I transferred over, there aren't too many MBA investment bankers in London, and it's very very different from New York. Like New York is full of like investment banker classes. I mean, in my group, in New York, in my specific group within investment banking, I mean, my group head was an MBA. I mean, I had like four Columbia MBA in my group itself. I mean, there were tons of Chicago, Harvard MBAs out there. So it was kind of like MBAs were like really looked upon like as, okay, these guys are like doing well. I was driven by the fact that in New York, you know, investment bankers, the analysts, they just burn out. I mean, they burn out. Barely few survive to become associates. Uh, The work hours are so bad out there. In London, on the other hand, I think that when I came over to Royal Bank of Canada, there were barely any MBAs around. Most of them were like, I mean, had just come up from the analyst ranks. And I think uh, I think there's a little bit of a cultural thing out there. So that was a bit challenging for me earlier when I moved out here. I couldn't relate to many people not, you know, just being like, why would you do an MBA? Yeah, so, exactly. So uh, that's, that's a really good point you're touching upon. So what do you think um, from that perspective? So these are the guys, you know, who are probably doing the job exactly what you are doing, yeah. but they don't have... Yeah an MBA. So do you think an MBA really helped or contribute towards doing a better job besides having a degree? Yeah, so I mean, it's a couple of points, actually. I think, uh, I think the biggest, the biggest advantage of an MBA is the network. I really think like Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, at least the US banks and the consulting companies, that's the mentality. It's the network you come out with. I mean, you're probably coming out with your classmates who are all going to rise up and go in different places and they're all going to be in good position. So when you become a director or an MD and you need those relationships, those are things you can count on. And for me, I mean, my network has paid dividends off. I mean, even being in London and, you know, it's been very easy to like reach out to someone else who's gone to Columbia, even in a different class. And just because you're from the same school, people have been very, very receptive. So I think at the start, uh, to answer your question more directly, analysts and other associates don't see that. Because from them, it's like, well, we are doing this too. What is he doing? And, you know, when you first start, uh, it's quite a challenge. I mean, I remember when I started off in Royal Bank of Canada as an intern. I mean, the first, my internship, I was there like 5, 6 a.m., like so many back-to-back nights, not going home at all. I mean, because they train you as an analyst first. They're like, well, you do your own stuff. If you don't know how to do it, how are you going to check someone else's thing? I think it's important because it makes the other analyst respect you. And know that he can do the job as well. He's not just some guy who got an MBA and now he comes and looks over my work. So I think it's important uh, that trust has to come in. Uh, but yeah, it was very, very tough. I think my first six, seven months were a huge struggle. 
and only after you started proving that you can execute and think of the bigger picture that people start respecting you and understanding the MBA has some value. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. So, so from what you're saying, it's it's a combination. So first of all, it's a network, which is something that's yeah. not just you know the short term benefit. It's it's something for the future. It's something long term. Yeah. It's it's a sprint. Sorry, it's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> absolutely, um, absolutely. Right, and the other one is I think the work ethic or the culture that that gets driven in uh, when yeah. you're actually trying to aspire to be better. Cool. And and the thing is, I mean, and just to add to that, and the thing is, like, when you work across in something else and then go into an MBA and then come out and work, you kind of look at things from other angles too. You know, as an analyst, when you have come up only doing investment banking, that's all you've done all your life. Your mentality becomes about, like, I'm going to execute and get the shit out. It's 2 a.m. in the morning. I just want to leave. I want to get this done, and I don't care about anything else. Mm. When you come from a job where you've worked in different things, you have worked in a school where you had classmates from everything, you think about other things. You think about, like, sometimes the strategy or does this make sense, what other people might think about. So I think the well-rounded education of an MBA is quite useful, but like I said, you know, it takes some time to kind of like start paying off dividends. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's a really good point. So you start getting perspectives and, yeah. you know, rather than getting pigeonholed into one area of work, you actually start appreciating or maybe even noticing that, you know, life is or work is more than just that one area. Exactly, exactly. Great. It, do you think that's what's made your journey or transition into uh, the startup space slightly easier? Because startups are not necessarily dealing with the same problems as, you know, what you, you might encounter in investment banking. Yeah, I wouldn't say easier. <laughs> I mean, if anything, it's if anything, it's been a humbling experience for sure. It's not been easier at all. Uh, I mean, and it's I mean, you know, I'm still I'm still looking for the right opportunity. I've had some offers. I didn't take them because I didn't think it I didn't think it was the way I wanted to go and what I wanted to do so and it's it's a bit of a challenge in London I I, I was saying this to you offline earlier mm-hmm. I think in London the funding is constrained about series A and series B what that means for MBA people is those are usually the companies that want us because you know by the time you reach to series A and B is when you actually start having structure and start thinking about building things properly and start looking more at MBA kind of people and that being constrained in London has put like a little bit of a stop on like how many hires can be made out there. Uh, so that's definitely one of the challenges. I mean, early stage companies, like you said, you know, it's tough to like show them what value you bring. And my value proposition has moved away from being like, I'm a finance guy. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'm a finance guy, but it's not the finance that I bring. It's everything else that I bring as a package, you know, having run teams, having run deals cross-border, having negotiated with C-level clients, with run with lawyers, speak their language. It's the whole package. I mean, you could go from business plans to fundraising to thinking about KPIs. And that's that's been my sell. But, uh, you know, just to reemphasize, it's definitely not been easy. Yeah, <laughs> I can understand. No, no, great point. So why why startups? I mean, what at what point of time did you start thinking um, uh, that, you know, this is it. I've, I've got enough of this world. Let's consider another world. And, you know, d- d- what came first? Did the idea of startups come first or did your frustration of wanting to move out? came first <laughs> sure absolutely uh, and I, I'll, I'll take this back a little bit about like uh, even back to business school days and what kind of like drove my career path into banking and you know then I can complete with this mm-hmm. but sure. uh, one, of, one of the things about like uh, I was a bit entrepreneurial always by nature like at business school I was running a lot of events I was on many clubs I was doing many new things and even while I was at Royal Bank of Canada and Goldman I'd done many many initiatives across outside my work whether it was changing things in the catering department or kind of like setting up learning series and there was like I was interested in things that were kind of like where I could make an impact. But, you know, when you go into business school, it's it's really tough process because when you get in, you have to pick your career path in the first two or three weeks. Companies are on campus in a month. Consulting and banking companies are on campus in actually three weeks, not even a month. So you need to know what you're doing while you get in. And that becomes really tough. You can't do both banking and consulting because the events overlap. So you need to pick. So it kind of like forces you to go into a route. And that, I think, is one of my, I mean, you know, I believe in the cliche, like, you don't live life on regrets. But if I had to do something differently, I would have probably taken five, six months off, uh, quit my job earlier, gone and worked in a startup, and used that to kind of, like, drive my thinking about what I want to do. 
when I come into business school. But since I got a bit siloed into it, and you know, you have to think about like when you go to business school, you're you're like spending around two hundred, two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. So you are in debt. And now, do you want to come out and take a job that might pay less, or do you want to go for something that's more secure? So there's a lot of things that drive that. Um, eventually, so that's what kind of like drove me a little bit towards banking and consulting. I eventually picked banking, uh, but now after I've done this for around three, three and a half years, and uh, th- while I moved to London, you know, I moved from a group, my group in New York, my financial institutions group within banking was 35 people. When I moved to London to help set up the consumer retail and leisure team, I was the third person in the team. We grew it out to 10 people over two years. There it became like I had a bigger path. Uh, you know, I could. I was interacting more directly with clients. I was actually running processes, even recruiting. And I started enjoying the whole thing about creating more of an impact and kind of being in a more lean team. And that started my process thinking about like, I actually enjoy this rather than be like a small fish in a big ocean. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, along that path, eventually I also started realizing that, okay, I, the finance is great and the deals are great, but I started hating the part where after six months you step away from a transaction and move on to something new. There was no continuity and it couldn't fit. It didn't feel like you were having as much of an impact as I wanted. And that's basically what drove my process. And, you know, I covered sectors like food and restaurants and food tech quite a bit. So that's that's been quite good when I go and talk to startups in the arena. I mean, they definitely see that I know the space well and I've thought of things that they necessarily haven't thought about. Um, so, yeah, that's and that's where I have an idea to in that space. And that's like the sector of choice for me. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, the, the most interesting point you made is that, you know, looking back, if you knew what you know now you would have probably taken a break and and worked in a startup for some time in fact you know i recently interviewed um a a, a person called doc mecker in episode number five and in fact Mm -hmm. what he did is uh, he took a break and he just went on a you know himalayan trail (laughs) um, between quitting his job and starting school and that also gave him a massive perspective and that also helped him you know zone in on what what he wants um I don't know, maybe yeah. if there are any business schools listening out there, uh, maybe you can make that as a part of a mandatory session, <laughs> uh, saying before you come in, you do need to take a break and then come in. <laughs> yeah, you know, and actually, uh, I mean, I did take a break, but I just took a break to travel. <laughs> so, so, I mean, so the business schools all run like these travel tracks before people come and you can meet other students and actually get to know them even before business school has started. So I, I did some of that. But actually, you know, I look at the current Columbia class and coming in and even in my class, a few people did actually work at startups before coming in. So they thought about it the right way. I didn't. Uh, but now I think more and more people are doing it for sure. They're kind of like just focusing more on it and trying to even work on as many as they can through the two years while in business school. Like I did a five-month internship at Bain Capital Ventures in my last semester. I already had a job in banking and I was like, what's the point of taking any more finance classes? So my last semester, I literally just took like startup and venture capital classes. I didn't take any finance classes. It's like, let me learn something new. Yeah, yeah, no, very interesting. So, so I mean, the other point you also made is the fact that, um, you know, there's no continuity. Um, do you think that would have been a very similar frame if, you would have gone to consulting instead of investment banking yeah exactly so i mean i talk to a lot of consultants and many of them are jumping ship as well for the exact same reasons they lack operating experience as well um and we like it bankers like it too and people have started to think like you know it's great to strategize but you really want to go and actually execute actually get it done put your name to it uh i think in my in my in my opinion consultants seem to have a little bit of an edge when it comes to startups as opposed to bankers there is a wide perception that bankers are the finance guys and that's all they know and you know we are such small startups do we really need a costly banker to come on board that's the perception and people it needs to change consultants on the other hand can spin it very easily talking about like you know, the different strategies they worked on and they can show that they can add more impact immediately. So it's been a little bit about like convincing people like, hey, I can do the exact same role that a consultant can do because even as bankers, we do diligence, we think about the strategy, but the perception has to change. Yeah, very interesting because, you know, when I think of investment banking, you know, not in that world, when I think it's, it just seems to be like, you know, these massive teams with, you know, this, this process and a structure that everyone necessarily needs to follow. But from what you're describing, it looks like the teams that you worked in were also quite 
they were quite small. That means you yeah. had to make do with limited resources, which is what startups do anyway. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I think actually, uh, I think bankers are great from that point of view because usually if you have survived banker banking for more than two years, you have a very strong work ethic. I mean, you have gone through like a lot of pain, <laughs> a lot of long nights, a lot of like hard bosses and, you know, you, you can get shit done. Plus you can multitask, you can prioritize. So I think those work ethic matters a lot. Uh, and, you know, the trend changes a bit. So in London, for instance, a lot of the food tech companies are actually the founders themselves, uh, finance guys, whether it's Deliveroo, it's City Pantry and a bunch of other ones. Now, it's a good and bad thing. When you are a former finance guy, you respect other people, you know what they are. But if you're very small and you're looking for other guys, you don't want someone with the same skill set. So yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a challenge and a good thing. Yeah, very interesting. I think the kind of perspective needs to be exposed more often rather than, you know, um, pigeonholing again the the kind of people that are in particular areas. <laughs> yep, exactly. Great. No, that, that that's, that's really good to get that kind of perspective. So, I mean, from from where you were, did you ever consider going into, you know, venture capital or private equity? Because um, that, that also seems to be a very common path, right? Yeah, for sure. Not private equity so much, but venture capital definitely. In fact, uh, even I think my my goal, like around ten, fifteen years down the road, if I don't have my own company and it's if it's not a unicorn, then <laughs> one of the goals is to actually end up as a venture capital. But I think to become a venture capital, I think it's important to go and get some startup experience, some real experience, maybe run your own company or actually be in a senior position in another company. Because how can you advise other people, other entrepreneurs and what works for them if you haven't seen it yourself and learned it yourself? I mean, with venture capital, finance is not really that important. I mean, when at the seed mm. stage, people, people are just putting a number. Later on, maybe there's a little bit of modeling, but that's not their sense i think operating experience is critical at least in my opinion and you know this was also the culture being capital ventures they used to only hire consultants uh, but no co no consultant could go about the associate level and become a principal unless they went and worked in one of the operating companies or some comp startup and come back like that was the requirement and i started seeing the importance of it i thought it was like when you sit on some meetings and you see the partners and the principals talk it's they can say that because they have actually done something before and now they have the experience so it makes them smart um yeah so that's that's my part too i see i see very interesting so so now in the startup space what what exactly are you looking for and you know in terms of the kind of work um, that you think you can do very well Sure. So um, uh, it depends. I mean, I think uh, I've been looking both at late and early stage startups, um, just depending on like what the startup is doing and what kind of growth they are in. So, for instance, in early stage startups, I'm presenting myself more of a CEO level if they're quite early stage mm -hmm. um, and, you know, handling everything, whether it's from the fundraising and the partnerships to the operational efficiencies. Obviously, this works well when the other founder is probably a tech guy or a marketing guy and yeah. they actually haven't run things uh you know like in a more structured way where they want someone to do it for them so that's more on the early stage side on the late stage side it i mean totally depends on what roles i have interviewed for roles from like chief of staff to partnerships i have been staying away from pure finance functions i know it sounds intuitive that i should go into finance but i just feel like there is no challenge if i do that i've done that for so many years and if I end up back in a finance function, uh, you know, this, it's not really the challenge I'm looking for. Yeah. I'm really looking more for operational experience. But uh, as of now, I've stayed away. I've not interviewed for any finance position or applied for anything um, because I just want to build on other skill sets. Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. So that's, that's really interesting. Uh, how about fintech startups? I mean, are you focusing on fintech to begin with because you think you might have yeah. an edge? Uh, yeah, off a little bit, not, uh, um, you know, I, I did some fintech stuff in Bain and uh, I did some stuff while in banking in New York as well. Um, but, you know, it's it's interesting what kind of startups are there. Like, I think right now in London, I mean, there's obviously Revolut and some other guys with the cards who are doing mm -hmm. really, really well. TransferWise is phenomenal. But most of the, a lot of the focus is on changing banks, yeah. changing how the banks are. And many of them are changing how retail banks are. Now, in theory, it seems like I should have an edge, but I never really worked in a retail bank. So I've never kind of like done any work related to a retail bank. I've done it more from an investment banking perspective. Uh, so it's not as big of an edge as I would like. 
but yeah. yeah, I have been looking at some fintech companies, but more so in food tech and urban transportation. Yeah, um, I guess actually, I guess that's know, where your strength really lies in terms of more work that you've done on those. Yeah, areas. exactly, and it's also passion. No, I mean, I I felt like I after interviewing with startups across across the board, and I'm open to startups from every sector. It just depends on the company and if it makes sense to me and if I can understand it. Uh, but I just realized that I was much better in interviews when I was super passionate about something and the ideas just flowed naturally. It sounds obvious, but it really does come across to the other person. that they can see that okay he may not bring all the experience but he brings the passion and that's yeah. what we care about absolutely so. and i i think i think that matters a lot in the beginning because you know you, yeah. so much of it is riding on um, you know trust in in the yeah. idea trust in the founders trust in the fact that it would work out so from a pure statistical point of view it may not make much sense but if you combine that with some interest and passion then that's how most yep. things get started anyway <laughs> exactly exactly absolutely great now uh, the next point which i had was something that's very uh, controversial or something uh, in, in in the past but mm-hmm. you know what do you think is a perception of people in startups towards mbas Oh, not the most favorable. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, w- why do you think that is and um yeah, where do you think that trend is going? You know, it's a, it's a little bit about like it's fueled a little bit from like back from the Silicon Valley days, you know, where people were saying that, you know, there was this common joke out there, I think in Silicon Valley where they used to say for every engineer you have add like 1 million to the valuation, every MBA you have take 500,000 off. <laughs> so, it's it's come from like the olden days, but I think that's changing quite a lot both in the valley in New York and I think to some extent in London too. London again doesn't have as many MBAs as New York and the and California do. So, it's it's going to take a little bit longer to change but it is definitely changing i think the perception is that mbas think strategize and they don't actually execute that's what people think people think that these guys are like high level thinkers they are expensive and they feel like they need people to execute for them but that's not really the case in fact most mbas actually come with great experience and people like me and i think most of my colleagues who have made the jump into startups know what we should get paid and are ready to take pay cuts because we kind of crave the operating experience i think it's a great way for startups to get well qualified people who have come with years of experience are taking a pay cut and are doing it solely for the passion but you know that that gets a bit uh, that gets a bit lost out there um yep. so it's a bit about like as more startup founders come from mba backgrounds and in london that is also happening a bit like delivero i think uh, will show is a wharton guy transferwise i think he's a insider mba i think zopa is also an insider mba so there's a bunch of guys who are starting up a lot more companies and as they start up they will hire more because they obviously value the network yeah no absolutely you're completely right uh, talking about will show i've been trying to get him on the show for such a long time he never replies <laughs> um <laughs> great yeah exactly so for you i i think it must be um, even more contrasting right in terms of the perception because um, i guess mbas must be highly respected or at least valued um you know when you went to rbc maybe maybe you even had like as you mentioned like almost a kind of a easier transition into that but when you when you look at the startup world it's a very different do you, do you think that transition was very very different or yeah where is that Oh well you know my uh, my first role working for Story Terrace uh, was a little easy i mean getting that it was mainly because the founder is like a columbia net columbia classmate mm-hmm. not from my batch but from a different class and we worked on some similar de- deals he used to be in private equity and i was in banking and he worked on something and he left to start up his own thing too so um that was a bit easier because you yeah. had the connection and you know you had the common trust you're from the same background but yeah after that it's not been so easy and i i shouldn't say i mean if i had to take any job it would have been all right uh, because i had a few offers but it's also like you know you are leaving so much on the table you're leaving up banking you really want to do something you believe in i mean for me it was entirely about like do i really believe in this yeah. is my vision aligned with like the ceo do i think they're going to get there and i mean am i going to put everything into it So for me I think those were the questions I had to answer and if I started debating it after 2 3 days it just meant that this is not the right thing because I every offer that I had I thought about it long and hard and debated it from every angle thinking about what I could do but you know sometimes you start coming up with so many negative things that you realize that this is probably not what you're passionate about um, yeah 
So finding the right fit and the right role, I think is a challenge, but I don't think uh, it would be fun if it was easy, right? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Do you, do you think business schools can do a better job at, at improving the perception of MBAs towards the startups? How, how was it at Columbia? You think Columbia gave you enough opportunities to try and get more exposure towards the startup world and the startup space and what is expected of MBAs when they go out there? Yeah, sure. So business schools ride a trend. I mean, business schools always ride a trend. Mm -hmm. They ride what the current trend is when it was finance. Schools were churning out bankers uh, by the dozen, I mean, by the hundreds. When it was consulting, they moved on to that trend. And now it's startups. So business schools are very quick to jump on trends because that they know like people will go to schools that are good in that. So in my year, uh, in my year, for the first time in ages, uh, banking recruiting Actually, not in ages. It had been falling. Banking recruiting had fallen down. And consultants were actually the ones who got hired the most mm. out of Columbia, which is traditionally a finance school. So mm. that was a change in my year. There were initiatives in the startup world. We have an entrepreneurship lab. Columbia has been doing quite a bit in that. But it was not it was not at like Stanford's level or any of that. You know, it was quite new and entrepreneurship as a curriculum was also a bit new and being developed. I think over the years, it's been almost four years since I've been out of business school. It's developed quite a lot. I think Columbia now tries to sell itself as a entrepreneurship school and being in New York City, how much more, how the entrepreneurial ideas out there. So business schools are projecting themselves. I mean, they all do based on where the trends are. And I think every other school is doing the same. So they are developing, they are learning, they have their own labs, they're trying to bring in their own, you know, alumni who can contribute towards future investments, um, you know, so they're doing what they can, but it takes a bit of time when you've been a finance school for like so long, the change is not immediate. Yeah, no, very interesting because even even back in the days during my MBA, um, I felt exactly the same as what you're saying. I felt that the business school was trying to, to um, you know, appreciate the fact that startups and early stage companies are something that people might want to go on to. But I felt there was a massive disconnect between initiatives um, uh, that were, you know, taken on the side. So we had we had some side projects and we had uh, some events that were focused on startups. But, you know, the actual curriculum was very traditional. That means it was very much driven by yep. case studies, very much driven by, you know, companies like Kodak and, you know, companies that yep. um, were like ages old. And um, everything was put in front of us. Um, but when you're actually working in a startup, you you rarely yep. know everything at that moment. I think that kind of training wasn't uh, carried forward to the traditional curriculum. Um, so that was that was my experience. I agree. <laughs> I agree. That is a fair assessment. Yeah. And you know, and, and and they're trying to fix that. And I I keep reading about like new courses being mm. introduced. And in fact, I'm on the Columbia Alumni Club for London. I just joined this year, so I'm on the board now. And one of the things we're trying to do is try to see where we can get professors when when they come to London, since Columbia has a tie up at London Business School, and where we can get professors to come and talk about like emerging trends and new things. Uh, you know what students want to hear. So it's kind of like the ongoing education. Oh, that is great. That that's that's good to know. Yeah. So, if anyone out there uh, who is in London and wants to know more about Colombia, I guess they can contact you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, great, great, great. Now, talking about Colombia a little bit, what what else um, do you think you got to know about Colombia while you were at college? Something that you did not know before you got in, and something that really, um, you know, surprised you in a nice manner. Um, was there anything at all? Something. <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, when you apply to these business schools, you need to know everything about them, like so intimately. And Columbia being in New York, I had gone to so many classes and tried to meet like so many people before I got admitted. I think it's almost a requirement for most business schools that you need to know them intimately well enough. Um, but I, I think what what affected me the most was in a very positive way was the strength of the community. One thing I thought that I'd read quite a lot about was like smaller colleges like Darden and stuff or Dartmouth Tuck, which are like in small towns and there's nothing else to do, have like much closer communities and New York being New York, people have their own lives and the community won't be that strong. I think that's absolutely a myth. My, I mean, my, uh, my year, the uh, the people were so close. Mm. I'm still superbly close with all my classmates, my cluster friends. I've been for weddings in Brazil. I've been to South America on mm. trips. After business school is over, I still go back to New York every year 
I mean, it's a very, very close community. And every time anyone is in town, all the Columbia guys from my class get together. So I think that was something that was more of a myth. Uh, at least in my class, the community is super, super close. And I think when you go to business school, if you really, really want the experience, see, I mean, you learn things and what you can learn on in school, you can probably learn on the job. All that is great. I think the one biggest benefit of business schools is the network. And I think if you if you end up with nothing but a strong network that people will vouch for you and who have worked with you in school and know they can trust you and put their name behind you, that is the most important thing. If you have that backing, you'll be all right because the network is superbly strong. Obviously, that means you have to be, I mean, you know, you have to prove yourself and done a good job. I think most people are serious about it. They don't just want to blow up the money if they're not serious. Yeah, no, absolutely. Very, very, very good point. So, I mean, talking about the money, it, it was quite a big financial commitment. Uh, MBA is generally a big financial commitment, right? So, yeah. you mentioned about that you were in New York and you got a chance to visit the school and that obviously gave you a much better insight um, into what you can expect once you get here. Do you have any tips on people who cannot visit the school? So, for example, when you were considering London Business School, what what yep. what all did you do to try and find out as much as possible? Yeah, so uh, I actually managed to swing a work trip in London <laughs> <laughs> and at the same nice. time visit London Business School as well. So there was a project coming up and I worked around the timelines properly to manage to come in here and see it as well. But besides that, if that hadn't worked for me, uh, I had reached out to a bunch of like London Business School alumni. Uh, around the world and set up like chats with them to get to know the school really well, understand more about like, you know, what the benefits are. Um, London Business School might be a bit more lax about it. I think Columbia and NYU are a little less lax. They really believe that if you're going to invest so much money in the school, you at least got to ought to come and see it. And I know that it's not like feasible for everyone just to make a trip from across the world without even getting in. Uh, but, but, that's what they believe in. If you're in the U.S. and you don't come to Columbia or NYU, I think you're pretty much uh, you're pretty much doomed. If you, if you can't make a trip domestically, if you're outside and you can convey your point, it's all right as long as you can show you've learned enough. But they really they're very very strong on people coming and seeing the school. I think for their point of view, it is like if you haven't even seen what you're getting into, how can you really be sure about it? Uh, I don't know if I wholly agree with it because it's an expensive cost for people who are applying to schools. Uh, but you just have to make sure that you can learn as much about the school as possible. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, I, I completely understand that. And what, what gets me really upset is the fact that people don't even try. I'm, I'm not yeah. saying you need to try and, you know, travel from uh, India to the US just to visit the school. But at least show that you're trying to make attempts to learn as much as possible, speak to as many people as possible, you know, try to overcompensate for the fact that you can't visit by, you know, using technology in today's world. Absolutely. How, how hard is it to get on a Skype call or even a video hangouts? Um, you know, it's it's easy. Yeah. And I think schools just want to see that effort. They don't necessarily want to, you know, make you bend over back um, just just yeah. so that they have to follow rules but the effort matters because today if you can't show the effort to try and know more about the school tomorrow you you cannot possibly get a job uh, you know in wherever you think you want to get if you don't show that much commitment <laughs> absolutely and I mean I mean just as a tip for any fellow any people who want to apply to business schools there are smart ways to do it I mean, most business schools have alumni clubs in many cities around the world. Yep. So you can actually try to reach out to the school and ask them about when is the next alumni club meeting happening. And people host events all the time. Like Columbia has a very active London community, uh, you know, so there are events being hosted here all the time. That would be a great initiative. You just come to one of the happy hours. Hey, have free drinks on us and then talk to the school. Tell them you came and met the guys out here. Um, so there are there are ways around it. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or listen to this podcast. <laughs> through that <laughs> I, I recently got uh, the admission director of Cambridge to come on the show and it's really interesting you know because that's the kind of perspective you may not necessarily get um, uh, from other sources so I guess you just need to hunt around for different sources possible I agree. I agree. And just to echo what you said, schools really care about drive and persistence. Yeah, that's what they care about. It's I mean, it's the same thing in life, right? If you don't have persistence, you're not going to get far. And schools care about that quite a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it goes everywhere, right? So, for example, recently, I was looking into starting um, a, 
a, a company myself and I was doing some kind of user research interviews with product managers um, because I work in a product management field and you know one question I ask everyone is let's say you were looking to hire people in your company what is the one thing you would look for and you know pretty much across the board everyone said we want to see those people in events we want to see those people in workshops we want to see those people trying to make uh, an effort to try and improve the learning I mean, if that's yep. the kind of expectation people have of, you know, people who you want to work with, then that kind of commitment is something you want to show even in the schools you want to study in, right? Absolutely. Great. Okay. Good, good. Um, sorry, I went on too long there. <laughs> um, <laughs> no problem. That was useful. Yeah, great. Um, now, in terms of some tangible outputs as well, so do you have top, you know, some application tips for people who are trying to apply for MBA or Columbia, mainly in terms of, you know, any kind of, you know, essay questions or any kind of specific um, questions that you think are very interesting for people to start introspecting? Um, yeah, I mean, so I can talk about, yeah, so for Columbia, uh, I mean, obviously, like, you know, a good GMAT score is a given. That's not like if you get a great GMAT score, you're getting in. It's like a tick mark. You need to get something. And I don't know what the average now is. I think in my year it was 720. So I think it might have gone up to 730 now. So you need to be above the average. Don't be below the average because that weighs against you. Um, The other thing is you have to think about like what's your background. If you are an ex-banker or, you know, if you're an ex-IT guy or an engineer and you're Indian and an engineer, you come from a class of pool that's a ton of engineers and Indians. So you got to think a little bit more about that smartly. If you're a white guy and you're a banker, that's a pool that's very common too. And business schools want to keep their population very diverse. They want people from every angle. So you need to think about what else you have done in your life. Uh, you know, and my essays, like my initial essays, were like entirely ripped apart by some Columbia uh, MBA students I took help from. And eventually I worked with some admissions consultants because I think I spoke entirely about my job, like about the things I've achieved at my job. And they were like, you are just going to be any other guy. There's nothing different out here. And it took a lot of thought and process to go back all the years and think about things that I've done outside the box and how I've changed, whether it's winning a chess championship or whether it's doing something differently or helping someone out. But just what you have done outside. I mean, schools care about that. They're going to test you on your your GMAT will show them that you can do well. Your work experience will show that, you know, uh, sure, this guy has got good credentials. He's going to do well. But really, can you add to the community? And I think uh, for Colombia, I can speak for Colombia. And for them, community was everything. They care about the community. They want everyone to bring something unique to the community and add to it. They don't want someone who's not going to be interested in blending and not be someone who's proud of the business school. Um, and as you go through the school, like in two years, the pride is like instilled in you through so many events that when you come out, you feel like really happy you did this. I mean, like I said, you know, I told you in the start, it was the best two years of my life. I had a great time. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, so I think those would be my top tips. Try to stand out, show different aspects of your of your life, not just work. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I completely agree, and I completely agree on the point of diversity. That that is really you know important, and you know sometimes it's it's also okay to be a little um, experimentative or innovative in how you come across. So, so just to give you an example, uh, my wife wanted to get into MBA. And she knew that, you know, if she just sends in a paper application, she'll come across, you know, as yet another applicant. And Mm -hmm. her GMAT score was actually below the average GMAT score of Imperials. So to try and compensate for it, she actually created um, a video and send it across. Like, Like, do something more, do something extra. If you think one part of your application is not as strong as the rest of your application, then do something to try and compensate for it. Um, you know, and the more innovative you are, they they also tend to appreciate that a lot more as well. So that's just one tip for me. <laughs> I agree. And actually, just to add on that, uh, and if you're based in New York or if you can go to the school, schools are very open. It is all right. So I'll give you an example. I had to give the GMAT twice. The first time I got like 690. And then I got 730. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first time I got 690, I was like, I don't want to give this again. This is annoying. And, you know, I did really well in math, but I got screwed in English. And uh, I, I mean, they were I, I actually went to the school. I went through a lot of events. In one of the events, the admissions consult, the school admissions board was there. I spoke to people out there. I told them my profile. I told them about my score. And I got a very honest feedback. They were like, we're just going to let you know very honestly, this is going to be tough. 
it's going to be a competitive thing. We don't say that you can't apply. You can. But if you think you have time and you can improve your score, it would make your pack. It would make your selling more easier. I mean, I got straight feedback from the school and they are very open about it. They want to help. They don't want to like turn you down and make you waste a year just because no one told you that your score was too low. People might think 720 is the average, right? Like actually when I was applying, it was 710 was the average. Mm-hmm. I was at 690. I thought, sure, it's the average, you know. I mean, I'm not that far away. But if you're from a common background, you worked in a bank and all, you need to be above the average. Yeah. If you have, So those are things that you should think about. And it's all right to go and talk to the school admissions board informally. They are helpful. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Akush, we know, I know we're, oh, we're actually just on the time when you wanted to go. So I'll just end off with yes. um, one question. Um, sure. Is there anything else that you wish I asked you? <laughs> uh, no, I think uh, you've covered, I think you've covered pretty much everything. Not at the top of the head. Okay, great. Is is there any one last step that you want to leave off with? I mean, I'm I'm in London and you have my details, so I'm happy to talk to anyone who wants any tips on MBAs or like, you know, uh, or even about Columbia. Happy to share that info. In fact, I used to be an interviewer for Columbia in New York, but I haven't done that since moving to London. So happy to share some tips. And just one last thing. I mean, if you're thinking about working in a startup later and you're thinking about an MBA, just think very smartly about the cost you'll spend to go into business school and when you come out and does that make sense? Or does it make sense to immerse yourself two years in a startup and make that MBA, learn everything on the job itself? I mean, those are things you want to just think about, uh, you know, and you have to think about every different school and their benefits. But yeah, I think I'll end out there. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point, you know, because in product management, we have a saying saying uh, that, you know, you need to obsess over the problem rather than obsessing yep. over how you solve the problem. Similarly, you know, if you're thinking of doing an MBA, really, really obsess over the fact of what you want to try and achieve because the logistics and the scores and the essays and, you know, they all take yep. care of themselves as long as you are you know, extremely clear on what you want to try and achieve. Um, you might agree with this. You don't have to be hard, rigid in terms of, you know, hold yourself accountable. Let's say during the course of your MBA, you might decide to change your path. You might decide to change your course. Yeah, but for sure. at least at least to start off with a goal helps you understand that you're doing it consciously rather than just going with the flow sometimes. <laughs> I agree. I agree 100%. Great, absolutely, Ankur. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, how how can people find you? Uh, are there any common you know places where you're mostly contactable, like Twitter, LinkedIn, etc.? Yeah, I mean, I'm active on everything on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook as well. Yeah, so LinkedIn, happy to take any requests that come through LinkedIn. My full name is Ankur Shbatia, so I think you can find me out there. Yeah, great. And uh, if anyone wants me to put you in touch with Ankush, just email me at avinash at thembajam.com and uh, happy to run it past Ankush. Sounds great. And thank you so much for your time, Avinash. No problem. Thanks a lot, Ankush. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. So there you go, folks. I hope you enjoyed listening to Ankush. Just wanted to say one more thing before I let you go. As you know, I'm running this podcast out of my own interest because I'm really keen on passing on the knowledge and information that I wish I had while trying to make a choice to do my MBA. So if you have any feedback, positive or negative, please let me know at avinash at thembajam.com. And if you find this useful and want to spread the word, just leave an iTunes review so that the others can hear more about how you like the show. Thank you very much. See you again. Thank you for listening to The MBA Jam. Now it's time for you to take action. Head over to thembajam.com to listen to more episodes and discover great resources.